Hey, just a heads up. This episode contains conversations around eating disorders and disordered eating. Take care listening. This is a clip from the reality TV series The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and it's a phone conversation between a mother and daughter. The clip is from 2013, but thanks to the internet, it was reborn. Gigi Hadid, a model, calls her mum and says she feels faint. All she's eaten that day is half an almond. Her mother, Yolanda, a former model, is in hospital and has just come out of surgery to have her breast implants removed. So that explains the background noise. I have a couple of almonds. Chew them really well because your, your stomach is not... She tells Gigi to try having a few more almonds. Yolanda was criticised, of course, but she said the clip was taken out of context. She had just come out of a six-hour surgery and wasn't with it, so to speak. But this isn't the first time Yolanda's comments about her daughter's weight or diet have raised eyebrows. Like this clip backstage at a fashion show, also from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm so excited for the food. Pretty much all the food that we're eating is like a heart attack in a meal. It's like, but it's going to be so good. It's good. You can have one, one night of being bad, right? Yeah, I was actually really good this week. Yeah. And then you got to get back on your diet, though. I think most people would agree this isn't the kind of advice you'd expect from a parent. But what it did do was give us a name for this complex phenomenon. Mothers being obsessed with their daughter's weight. Finally, we had a phrase for it. The almond mum. And social media completely ran with it. Suddenly, my feed was filled with skits about young women and their own almond mums. Like this one by Abby's Kitchen. That hits about gluten. Oh my goodness, Jenny, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. I've heard all the almond mum stories. Mum's installing a device on the fridge that makes a mooing sound every time you open it. A mum who sent her daughter to school with copies of Vogue magazines to look at at lunchtime to motivate her not to eat. Or a mum who encouraged her teenage daughter to go on laxatives and a week-long juice cleanse alongside her. You know, as a bonding activity. Eating disorder specialists say they see a 40 to 60% increase in the likelihood of developing an eating disorder if your parent has one. So how did we get here? I'm Lily O'Farrell, aka Vulgar Drawings, and this is No Worries If Not. Episode 2. Almond mums. Why are mothers passing on their complex relationships with food to their daughters? I turned around 14 when Tumblr became a thing. And that was the time I realised that every single girl I knew had an eating disorder. This is Elle. We met through a mutual friend and immediately clicked over our shared interest in almond mums. That was the time that girls started going to hospital and their Tumblr feeds would be filled with extremely thin women. We're the same age, so we've got similar memories of browsing the internet as teenagers, when being online was like being in the Wild West. In 2012, Tumblr started banning blogs that encouraged self-harm, anorexia and bulimia, 
Before that, the site had allowed users to post any images or videos on the subjects. But by that point, for some of us, the damage had already been done. Being a 14-year-old girl is horrendous, and I wouldn't want to wish it my worst enemy. And I think Tumblr was a way to escape in a way that really celebrated that darkness, especially at that time, in that era. Being depressed, being ill was fashionable. Having an eating disorder was a physical manifestation of the darkness that we were all feeling. The first thing I remember is thigh gap. That was like the thing. Taking a picture with a thigh gap and how big that was, was a real source of pride. That's probably the first thing I remember seeing on the internet as a fully internet-generated part of fat phobia. Each generation of women can point to a different route into the problem of diet culture. For those of us born in the 90s, we were the first to watch this move online. Ask any of these women about the Kate Moss quote. I guarantee she'll say back to you, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, faster than lightening. After spending our teenage years scrolling through pro-Anna content, idolising Cassie from Skins and watching America's Next Top Model, we learned to adopt these habits and ways of thinking as second nature. Our mums had their own equivalent. I think the mess of voices and influences that have been on all of us generations ago have made it so that I think women of our parents' generation don't know how to feed themselves, have no idea of what is intuitively right for their bodies. Thinking about my mum, I have never seen my mum eat a full meal. Elle's mum had an eating disorder for her whole life. She said she'd never seen her mum sit down to eat, and her memories growing up are just a blurry figure manically rushing around the house as she ate snacks here and there. Those habits were passed down from Elle's mum to her. I think she did want to feed me properly. I think she had no idea how. And therefore, I got to a point where I, I never really had proper meals. And even now as an adult, when I've sort of got help for my issues with eating, I was given like a pamphlet about how to eat from my therapist, which is like, here's what you have for breakfast. Here's what you have for lunch. Here's a good time to have these meals. Half an hour within waking. News to me. Elle's mum's obsession with her own thinness later transitioned to a focus on her daughter's body. Throughout her teenage years, Elle was put on an endless rotation of diets by her mum. My body, for kind of my whole life, has always felt like a problem to be fixed rather than something that is just something that I live in. So that's what it was like as a child, was always like the project that was never finished that needed to be fixed. And fixing it, nearly killed me because I had to go on this crazy diet. One of these diets was so extreme, Elle spent most of her final year at school in hospital. She'd lost such a huge amount of weight in such a short time that she had her gallbladder removed and was put on a fentanyl drip for three months. This hospital stint was 10 years ago now, but Elle says it feels impossible to leave these habits behind. It overflows into all aspects of my life. I mean, even now, I don't know how to feed myself. Still, still working it out. And I think about when I have a child, I want to be able to feed them. (laughs) It's hard enough even with my partner to have him watch me. You know, it's hard for him to watch someone he loves be in pain and not be able to feed themselves, not be able to work out to look after themselves. I think Elle's story is an example of the extreme end of the scale. 
When the odd comment here and there blows up into controlling your daughter's food intake so much that she's hospitalised, sometimes it's a lot more nuanced than this. Yes, I did go to a Weight Watchers meeting. In fact, I went to four. This is my mum. I was 22 and a production assistant I was working with was going and she went, I don't want to go on my own. My mum loves to exercise. She's very sporty and I am not. She doesn't have an eating disorder, but she's been saying she wants to lose weight for as long as I've known her. We talk a lot about diet culture and we've traced back through her history of trying different weight loss methods. She hasn't tried all of them. She's rightly suspicious, but she has observed the ever-changing quick fixes of the time. And to me, 22 seems so young to join Weight Watchers. After all, the average client is in their late 40s. But anyway, I did it for four weeks and then I thought, oh, that's, I've lost some weight now, I'll leave. But it was awful. You have a sort of welcoming talk and then a motivational talk, usually from a woman, always a woman. In fact, it was always women. There was, I never, there was never a man in the group trying to lose weight. And then they weigh you in front of everybody and then at the end of the meeting the person that's lost the most weight is announced and you applaud them. After all these years my mum still remembers the diets and calorie counting she did over those four weeks. I think I'd have a cappuccino and an apple in the morning and then I do remember every day I bought a tuna and cucumber sandwich from Boots and I think I can remember the calories within that it's like under 300. After Weight Watchers my mum tried aerobics Jane Fonda's Feel the Burn workout videos were big in the 80s, and high-intensity exercise classes were popping up all over the place. Inspired by her. So I went to lots of aerobics classes. I hated them. Everyone I went to were run by men at the front shouting at you. It was always about the burn, sweat it off, get thin. If you feel the burn, this is the magic happening. Then she had kids and wanted to lose the baby weight, which in itself is a crazy term. Like you've grown a human being inside you with eyeballs and everything. Put your feet up, queen. But mum tried the cabbage soup diet, a fad diet that's been popular since its origin in the 50s. According to this diet, you consume the same amount of calories as the daily recommended intake for a two-year-old. How she had the energy to look after two babies while being on this diet I will never know. I asked her how she even found out about the cabbage soup diet. It was all over the place. I didn't really buy women's magazines either, so I don't know. I was probably on the radio. I don't know. I think those things just come through to you as a woman. You just sort of absorb it. It's around you. You're being told about it. You feel, oh, I better do that. I better do that. So I thought, oh, that sounds like a quick and easy way to lose some weight. So I did it for three days. It's awful. So if I smell tomatoes and cabbage in the same thing, I can't go near it. It's basically this massive vat of soup and you can eat as much of it as you want in a day. So you eat quite a lot on the first day and then the next day you absolutely can't face it. So you're going to lose weight, aren't you? <laughs> but it's ridiculous. It's water. So I, I did lose some weight. My mum insists she works out to feel fit and strong instead of to stay thin. And after all my questioning... I do believe her, but being thin is something that's always been a big part of her life. When I was little, I loved watching her get ready, doing her makeup and putting on her jewellery. 
I would sit on the floor and watch as she stood in front of the mirror and trash-talked her body. I always thought she looked amazing, and it made me sad that whatever I said, I couldn't get through to her. As a teenager, I made a decision that I didn't want to waste any time obsessing over my weight and body. I decided to fake confidence until I had it. And it actually kind of worked, until I turned 18 and left home. For the first time in my life, I was able to eat whatever I wanted. But there was this shame around food that turned into me secretly binge eating. I put on a lot of weight, and when I came home, me and my mum started to clash. A lot. I asked her about this time. I don't know how much weight you put on. It was. Noticeably fatter. It was the most, I guess, in that <laughs> And time. why is that a problem? It's the first time you're on your own, you're sorting your own food out, you might have just been eating, you know, McDonald's every day. That's why it happens. Mum started commenting on my body. If I stopped wearing certain clothes, she asked if it was because I couldn't fit into them. She offered me money to go jogging in the hopes that I would fall in love with running. I wouldn't need the incentive of money to do it. Obviously, that didn't work. Then it all came to a head. And I just remember you being a bit... And there being a bit of tension at the dinner table and I just clocked myself and thought, no, this is about me not wanting to be fat. This has got nothing to do with Lily and actually she's not really that fat. My mum apologised to me and she realised all of this was a projection of her own feelings about her body. I call her a post-almond mum now. We talk about how exercise should be about being strong, not being thin. I also know now that the whole time when we were clashing, she was at the very beginning of the menopause, which, from what she's told me, sounds like it fucking sucks. Your body is changing in a way you have no control over. It must be terrifying. I think she's amazing, and understanding all of this helped me see her as a person, not just as my mum. I think I was lucky to have this moment of honesty with my mum because a lot of people don't get that, like Elle. I think our mums are all victims of the same thing. But my mum specifically, I feel being thin has ruled her life. She spent 60 years hungry. The mental effect that has on a person is insane. I know when I'm hungry, I'm ratty. I can't think. And the fact that you'd almost be in that state of mind for your whole life because you want to be thin... It just makes me sad and it makes me sadder because I think there are some mums who are willing to acknowledge that and want to change. I think if my mum acknowledged she had an eating disorder, she would have to acknowledge so much pain. I don't think that's ever going to happen. And in a way, at least with you and I and our friends, we're young and we know that you don't really get cured of stuff like this. It's always going to be there. But I think the earlier you try and interrogate it and deal with it, the better. I took all of this, my conversation with Elle and with my mum, to Kerry Jones, someone with over 20 years of experience working in eating disorder recovery. Kerry is a psychotherapist and the CEO of Ori, an eating disorder treatment clinic. Ori is a daycare and outpatient treatment centre for people with eating disorders. We work with people who are 16 and above, and we primarily work with people with anorexia, bulimia and binge eating disorder. Kerry said working in this field for so long, she was seeing the same failures in the system on repeat. And that's why she wanted to set up her own clinic. 
Kerry found it common to see people who were being discharged come back again and again, or what is sometimes referred to as a revolving door patient. There are individual personality differences in people that mean we all need to be met as individuals. You know, I say I've met a lot of people with an eating disorder, but I've never met an eating disorder. Kerry absolutely detonated the misconceptions I had around eating disorders. Like that, the majority of people suffering are white, privately educated girls. She told me about the term swag. It's a horrible analogy, but a swag, a skinny, white, affluent girl. Kerry says it's a total myth. And by assuming this, you're making it harder for other people to get a diagnosis. It's much, much more diverse than you think. The problem is, because we have this prevailing idea that the people who get eating disorders are skinny, white, affluent girls, when people who do not fit that stereotype sit in front of a doctor or present at a service, they are not seen. We've seen massive, massive increases in the number of black African women presenting with binge eating disorder, with bulimia, with anorexia in services. Of course, conversations like this are becoming more common thanks to social media. So I asked Kerry what she makes of the almond mum label. I have quite a strong reaction to it and it is one of discomfort. I feel it mocks the woman, so I think it has a slightly misogynistic feel to it. I think it misses the point. I get it. I can see what it's doing. And I also recognise that for people who perhaps have grown up in the shadow of that, it's quite helpful because it's actually quite affirming. I was coming to speak to you today, obviously. So I was having a chat with some clients just to say that this is what I was doing and some of the team as well. And we had really interesting debate about it. Some quite strong opinions that it was outrageous and it shouldn't be discussed in this way and, it, you know, we shouldn't be promoting it. And other people who, who were saying, well, no, actually, I think it's a really good way of bringing it into people's awareness. Kerry said that women are not the cause of eating disorders and to assume that is outdated and misogynistic. Instead, families can sometimes maintain eating disorders or respond to them in an unhelpful way. So we know that you see about a 40 to 60% increase in likelihood of getting an eating disorder if somebody in your family has had one previously. There's definitely something going on. I think it's absolutely relevant to look at the fact that there is something intergenerationally that happens, and I think it's incredibly complex. When me and my friends talk about almond mums, we try to put ourselves in their shoes and think... What is it like to be a woman and raise a daughter? How do you prepare her for a world that is patriarchal? Maybe you try to make things as easy as possible for her, and being a thin woman is easier than being a fat one. It is horrendous, but I think it's true. Activists fighting against fat phobia will tell you themselves, being fat provides extra barriers of discrimination. Kerry said something similar. In my experience of working with mothers and daughters, for example, in this instance, where perhaps, you know, mum has had these prevailing ideas, it's usually about safety. If my daughter looks a certain way, she will be safer in society. She will go further, her life will be better and she will be happier as a result. So it's really easy to kind of look to 
these women and say, that's outrageous, you know, who just puts a bit of celery and a bit of hummus in their five-year-old's, you know, lunchbox and expects them to thrive. We have to look at the patriarchal norms that have really predated this and look at why women have come to believe that that is how to be safe in the world. On the ORI website, there's all sorts of referencing to eating disorders being a family illness. Kerry said it takes a village to recover from one, and it's one of the hardest things anyone can ever do. But it is possible. ORI provides family therapy when someone's recovering, which is just like, of course. Why haven't people been doing that the whole time? Looking back through your family history allows you to see habits and attitudes that you might have missed. Ellie said when she learned more about her mum's mum, things started to click. I think my mum is a perfect example of that because she grew up with a mum who obviously had eating disorders as well, was her whole life incredibly thin, spent her 20s drinking black coffee and smoking cigarettes, and was on a treadmill when she was eight months pregnant. Looking back on it, she would say how her mum would do like the boiled egg and grapefruit diet all the time in the 60s. And that was what she had grown up with. I remember the story my mum had told me about her own childhood. She has two sisters and her mum would buy one Mars bar and cut it into three pieces. They all got one third. I called up my grandma to ask her about it and she said she'd still never have a whole Mars bar to herself. It was just an indulgence that wouldn't occur to her. She was a child during World War II, so grew up with rationing, and she said that's something that never quite leaves you. I asked my mum about her memories of this Mars bar story. She said she didn't know any different. No one wanted the middle because there wasn't chocolate at either end of it. I didn't think, oh, I can only have a third. It was like, great, it's my turn to cut it. I'm going to try and do a little bit bigger on my end and see if they notice. But it was... Fine, that was fine. It didn't occur to me I could have a whole Mars bar. All these small, unspoken habits that we pass down to our daughters. I remember when I started walking home from school on my own, probably age 11, I would stop by the shop and buy a chocolate bar. I'd eat it on my walk, and then as I got home, I'd put the wrapper in someone's dustbin in the street. Never in the kitchen bin. I knew that if I put it in the kitchen bin my mum would ask me about it, and I didn't want that. For more than five years, I did this. So, for the first time, I told her about it. Oh, no, that's terrible. Well, I didn't think that's... <laughs> because you knew I'd say. Because I knew that you'd see it. I clearly say... giving you too much pocket money. <laughs> and say something. This is before cost of living crisis, yeah, so it was yeah. less than a pound probably for a bar yeah, chocolate. Yeah, So I put it in the bin out the front because yeah. I put it in the kitchen bin I would worry that you'd open it see it and point it out no that's interesting that because that clearly is something you've carried as a teenager so I did clearly talk to you too much but I still believe you shouldn't have a chocolate bar every day I'm so sorry as your parent I'm saying now do you... don't have a chocolate bar every day my mum is right eating a chocolate bar a day isn't exactly healthy but for me the issue was more about her controlling what I ate it wasn't really about the chocolate bar, it was more about how her comments would make me feel about my body, even if she had good intentions. For Kerry, having studied and worked in this field for years, she's well accustomed to the idea of intergenerational habits. I read this quote recently and they say you're not an adolescent until you start to recognise the imperfections of your parents. I wish at age 11 
I knew then what I know about my mum now. How she's a woman who grew up in a world where your worth is determined by your weight. And now she was raising a daughter in this world too. Kerry said that eating disorders are not about food. It's a mental illness and it's often about protecting yourself from something else going on in your life. It's about control. If you're obsessively focusing on what you're eating, you're able to pull your focus away from something else troubling going on. And that's something that can happen at any point in your life, not just the manic teenage years. When my mum started the menopause, her relationship with her body was thrown into disarray. It's that classic middle-aged woman shape, which, you know, is fine. It's like slimish legs and then from your belly up, it's just one shape. So there's no definition, there's no... It's like you've just suddenly become boobs and two stomachs and it's the same shelf all the way down. And it's like, oh, that's a bit grim. don't really like that. And I, don't, I just don't like having lots of tyres around my body. You know, that's me, that's how I feel about... It's all about coming to terms with being menopausal in your 50s, everything that that brings with you. It's like there's so much that's out of your control. There are some things you can try and control, but your body shape changing, it's very different. So it's a thing to manage because you're looking in the mirror at your old face at the same time as your, oh God, as your old body. <laughs> Kerry said in the last eight years, eating disorder specialists have been seeing an increase in anorexia presenting for the first time in middle-aged women. Sadly, we are seeing a lot of women in their 50s, but also later as well. I spoke to a woman a couple of weeks ago in her 70s, and I had a call from a woman who rang on behalf of her sister, who was 85. Kerry said even for her, someone with so much experience in this field, she finds the messaging online around middle-aged women and appearance confronting. When you get to a certain age, so I'm 47, suddenly your feed fills up with oestrogen vitamins and you know you're going to have a middle-aged menopausal belly and you go oh my goodness am I? So I'm an eating disorder professional with 20 plus years years of psychotherapy and it gets into your head and I have to sort of shake it out and say hang on a minute. It's interesting to hear how online diet culture affects women of all ages not just teenage girls. Elle said she limits how often she goes on social media now mostly because of the what I eat in a day videos. The things that I find really problematic are the what I eat in a day. There's always a body shot, right, when they're showing you. In a way, I wouldn't mind it so much if it was, like, faceless, but basically what you're saying is, here's what I need a day to look like this. And I find that triggering. Kerry said that particular trend, which started in 2020, has been a huge catalyst for people suffering with an eating disorder. And if it's not those videos, it's wellness culture, which Elle thinks is a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's eating disorder culture hidden in an organic white spa robe. It's like clickbait. It'll be like, broccoli is killing you. Or, you know, don't eat these five things to, and then you won't die. Do you have inflammation? Are you tired? Well, then obviously you're eating the wrong thing. No, maybe I'm just tired. Maybe I'm just tired. But everything, there's something to fix. And there's a doctor out there who can sell you some shit. Kerry said wellness content comes up a lot when looking at orthorexia, a new eating disorder diagnosis that is essentially internet-born. Orthorexia is really a preoccupation with 
clean, healthy eating. And what it looks like is somebody who's really thoughtful and, you know, is making really good and sensible choices about their food. And if you look at so many of the messages we get now around food, you know, you go into a one of the large sandwich chains that you might pop into at lunchtime in central London. And they'll have this little pot and it's got like four bits of celery, four bits of carrot and a bit of hummus. And I'm like, that's not really actually food unless you're a rabbit. So what do we do now? Society gives women eating disorders and then they're maintained by mothers, the internet and sandwich chains. How do you break the cycle? Well, you look at the system, not the women. Elle says she can't forgive her mum, but she can try to understand She tries to balance anger with empathy, seeing how her mum is a product of the system instead of an individual who was purposefully out to do her harm. I think you can feel bad for the circumstances that created that level of dysfunction. But I also think you're allowed to feel angry about the fact that this is with you for life. You know, it feels like an internal scar. That's never going away. And if you can, you talk to your own mum. I asked my mum if she could do anything differently with me and our relationship with food. Would she? Yeah, I would really hope that you could come home and throw your chocolate bar wrapper in the bin in the kitchen. And you wouldn't say anything? And I wouldn't say anything. I'd be like, oh, God, it's killing me. But I wouldn't say anything. I absolutely would not say anything. Kerry said when it comes to friends with almond mums, get them together and read Fat as a Feminist Issue by Susie Orbach. When you talk about it, you'll find that your stories are far more similar than you thought. And you've all been in the trenches together this whole time. Maybe invite your mum to spice up the conversation a bit. And you can be there for your mum too. We may be the Tumblr, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels generation, but we're also the first generation to really interrogate diet culture and the habits passed down by our mothers and our mother's mothers. Kerry said, be curious about your family instead of pointing the blame. Talk to your mum about her mum and her relationship with food and what it was like for her being a woman in her 20s. What was the messaging at the time? What were the fad diets she and her friends did? You might find that, as well as being a parent, she is also a person and a woman just trying to make her way in a weight-obsessed world. Thanks for listening to No Worries If Not. Special thanks to Elle, Kerry Jones from Ori, and my mum. You can find help at BEAT, the UK's eating disorder charity, at their website, beateatingdisorders.org.uk. This is a Curly Media production. <laughs> <laughs>